Try to find space to hear what your heart says. Make it your best friend. Slow down and clock back into yourself. Give your heart a pen. Sophia Tarkor. Welcome to Home Words, a Dear Damsels podcast. We're Abby and Bridie, the team behind Dear Damsels. This podcast is part of our overall mission to provide a platform for women's voices, which is what we've been doing online and in print for the past four years. We want to share the stories of women in their own words. In this episode, we'll take you through our most recent theme on the site, Hope. We're going to talk about the power and pitfalls of poetry, and we're also going to discuss a new opportunity to get writing advice from an expert in creativity. Abby opened the episode with a quote by Sophia Tarkle. Where'd you pick this one, Abs? I'm currently reading Sophia's collection, which is titled Give Your Heart a Pen. I'm listening to it in audio, um, and Sophia is a performance poet, so that is quite an enjoyable experience. But the reason I chose quote is because it captures a lot about what I love about writing, which is really how it gives you the time to sit down with yourself and just sort of spend some time connecting to what you actually think and feel. I find that writing is the best way for me to understand things that I yeah. think and feel. And like, that's a lot of what Dear Damsels is about. It's kind of, if you struggle, especially to find a space for your voice to be heard, sitting down and writing them out is um, a really important thing. Uh, so yeah, basically when I picked up Give Your Heart a Pen, the collection and started reading it, it, it opens with this poem and I was just like, oh, it's dear damsels, it's everything, yeah. it's everything about why we started this. I think thing. you literally sent me a picture of the cover and you're like, I'm reading this, it's us. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's I was nice. like, here is the cover, here is the opening dedication, yeah. here is the first poem. Basically, this is who we are, Bridie, I'm not sure it's okay. So yeah, Abs has now lent me the print copy of it. Um, though I have seen Sophia perform before, I know she's a brilliant poet, so maybe... I'll just have to read it and then do the audiobook afterwards and things like that. Mm. I do currently have, because of the Give Your Heart a Pen line, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the works of another poet, Demi Lovato, but she has a song <laughs> called Give Your Heart a Break, and now I've just got Give Your Heart a Pen in my head to oh. tune that song. Am I going to sing it? No, it's too early in the episode for me to start singing. All of the things that you can give your heart, that's a really nice, a nice theme, a nice <laughs> connection. Maybe you can write a poem about it, Abby. Maybe I will. We're going to start the episode by talking about recently on Dear Damsels, which is when we catch up on the most recent theme and pieces that we've been sharing online. In August and September, we share pieces on the theme of hope. At times this year, it might have been quite hard to find hopefulness for general pandemic and political reasons, and we put this in our submission letter when we were thinking about the kind of work we wanted to share this time of the year. Both big and small, every day and once in a lifetime, it can be found in what's for dinner wishes and lifelong dreams alike. It surprises us with its resilience too turning up where it's least expected, lighting up a desire for something better, for change, for action. So we were sort of thinking that this would be quite a positive theme, though we have had quite a few of those already on the site <laughs> this month, or not this month, this year, because of everything that's been going on. But I don't think we were quite prepared for the interpretations that we got in the sense that they really took the idea of hope and took out some of like the negative sides of hope or some of the unexpected sides of hope. Mm. And that's what the first theme we're going to talk about is. It's the unexpected moments of hope, those sort of everyday moments that can still surprise you and so needed at the moment in a world that is so insecure. For example, Joe Fisher wrote a piece about um, an ice cream van in lockdown and like that being a sign of resilience. And we had a lot of pieces about finding 
hope in the small things. I don't know about you, Abby, but I've been finding, trying, <laughs> clinging to the small, hopeful, unexpected moments. For me, one of the things that I've done recently, which my boyfriend takes the mick out of me for, is I found a lot of hope in very basic bitch Instagram. So I've actually made <laughs> a third Instagram account on top of my personal one, my dear Danza's one, what? and a secret hidden one. A secret Well, I am the most basic version of myself. I reblog affirmations. I share pictures of pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> I take like... Is this actually this true? This is generally true. Why is this... <laughs> I said to Abby before recording, like, I'm not gonna... I'm gonna surprise you with what my unexpected moment of hope. Because I've, you know, I've been having a bit of a rough time and I didn't really know what to do it myself. And I was like, well, there's lots of like life coachy slogan people who might make me feel better. And I know it's not really real. It's just some words on a nicely designed background. But it's really helping me feel hopeful at a time when every other part of my news feed is just terrible news, awful things happening, lies upon lies and like lots of changing information. I can go to my safe corner of basic bitch Instagram and know everything there is going to be exactly the same. Do you know what? I tried to put this into words when I was talking to you about selling sunset <laughs> i was trying to explain to you why i liked it so much but i didn't capture it i couldn't understand it but it was just the world of simplicity yes exactly and you just maybe you should share a few things about selling sunset i mean i could very that. easily but do that in. not sure because selling sunset is a bit too it's not as hopeful no. as the kind of stuff that i'm looking for which is like you got this girl type basicness that was a click that well that's exactly video. what Chriselle needs I'm so sorry that's that we're true. Talking about no it's okay I mean that is that your unexpected moment of hope the joy <gasps> that you've well as you were talking about that that is one thing that came into my mind it was exactly what I needed on a similar kind of a similar kind of way to sometimes like Gilmore Girls it's, mm. it's just that kind of it's sort of awful but it's always there but actually um I've been reading an audiobook. Sorry. Is that listening? <laughs> I've been listening to an audiobook. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Oh, yeah. This has been getting a lot of chat because I've Adele basically Instagrammed it. It was a big New York Times bestseller before that. But it sort of fits into what you're saying in that it's very woo woo, do you mm. know, that kind of thing. I've really got on board with it. It just feels so removed from actual discourse. <laughs> I think that's what is mm. nice. It's like I'm not ignoring discourse. I'm not ignoring what's going on in the world, mm. but this is where I can go and retreat. TikTok was that place for me at the beginning of lockdown, and now it's not that place anymore, and yeah. I have to... Retreat is... Thing. Yeah, that's absolutely what it is, actually. That's a lot of what she talks about. She talks about her knowing, and that's all about just kind of like sitting with yourself. I think retreat as well definitely is something that we have pieces about. Um, my favourite being Key Change by Jill Slight, which was about retreating into the key changes in Eurovision pop songs, which truly, when this came into my inbox, I was like, did I write this under a pseudonym, even though Jill has written for us before? It sort of talks about the way that euphoric pop makes you feel. The retreat that you get from reality when you're listening to a three-minute choreographed and edited and key changed and auto-tuned song which is basically all of your vision plus glitter. Jill captures it really well in this passage that I'm about to read. And truly, when I read this, I was like, yeah, like so many people take the mick out of me for loving Eurovision, but just read this piece. I think I understand why. If like me, you turn to music where you need to channel your feelings, a key change helps so very much. It can change the tone of the song from questioning to pleading, from whispered sadness into an oncoming storm of devastation or from gentle joy to a blistering euphoria. A key change can be an outlet for that most hidden bit of your emotions, 
an expression through song where just words don't do it anymore. The lift in the music can be an assist, a hand to hold yours, a reassurance that you'll be fine and that there'll be a tomorrow where you can start again. Oh, I love this piece too. I love that idea about key changes being a lift, basically putting the feeling of hope into music. I mean, I really just watch Eurovision compilations when I have lost all hope, to be honest, because it's such a joyful thing. So thank you, Jill, yeah. for bringing this to me at this time. It is joy. Talking about kind of unexpected moments of joy and unexpected kinds of hope, something else that we saw coming through was the idea of hope being unexpected in terms of finding it through quite painful experiences. So a piece we got relating to this was called Chemo During Covid by Alana Duffield. This is a non-fiction piece where she talks about uh, going back to her childhood home, which is what a lot of people I think in our generation did during lockdown, but as well as contending with all of that, she was also dealing with the fact that her dad's chemotherapy treatment was restarting. In, in a similar way, it really is about retreating, slowing down, and even while she's dealing with what she describes as one of the most like difficult times of her life, she is surprised herself to find how full of hope she finds herself. Um, she sums this up really well. Um, she says, We were maybe a month and a half into lockdown when they told us his chemo would restart. I didn't want it to. I wanted to stay in this perpetual childhood for longer, boiling the kettle for three, always hopping the last stair, fighting for the phone charger. But he wanted it done, and I understood that his limbo was very different from mine. I just thought that was brilliant at capturing the moment of this strange, um, everything being put on hold for the whole world, and also what a lot of people were also struggling with alongside that. But yeah, she, she goes on to talk about how life was just slowing down and becoming quiet and how actually she ended up spending I think like 120 days at home, which would have been so much more time than she would have been at mm, home yeah. had this all not transpired. Yeah, finding hope in that extra time and how, the, how she started to notice different things about nature is just a, a really, really beautiful piece. Yeah, I think also what's really nice about it is that sort of that thing she says about like not looking at the bigger picture but going hour by hour and sort of the nature of chemo treatment is you sort of have to take it day by day because it's changes your body in so many ways and you have like a set amount of time and all that sort of thing it's really hard to focus on something else and that's sort of also what we're living through generally not trying to make a connection between like life-saving treatment and the pandemic but that's sort of way that time doesn't exist normally and I think everyone's talking about that at the moment you know how this year seems to have flown by though nothing's really happened and especially at the moment in the UK not to talk too much about politics but it feels like we're just repeating March currently I think that's really interesting the way that she finds a positive and the hope in that sort of she's having these experiences with her family that she wouldn't have had otherwise or you know she's appreciating the first plum of the season that she probably wouldn't have noticed because she wouldn't have been there Again, it's the retreating, it's the thing that she's coming back and focusing what she can control in the small moments when there is so much insecurity in other areas of her life. And I think she puts it just really beautifully. Yeah, she does. It's like kind of, um, yeah, different approach, different perspective on things. That kind of leads on to a different thread that kind of came through in this month of hopeful submissions. When you were talking about the theme at the beginning there and talking about how everybody really interrogated the idea of hope and we were seeing all these different parts of it and it wasn't always an uplifting theme but that felt important because um the author the writers are really grappling with the idea of mm -hmm, hope yeah. it led to some pieces that were really about losing hope false hope and things like that 
Yeah, just sort of like when you're kind of forced to let go of hopefulness, that idea that hope can be quite flimsy or distraction or like a last resort, you know, when you're just the only thing that's getting in your way of something is your hope that the situation will change or that something Mm. will be better. And one piece that discussed that really well was Katie Isham's Mother of Hope, which is a creative nonfiction piece about her managing a very difficult relationship with her mother at a time when her mother is very vulnerable and struggling with dementia and osteoporosis. And the scene that she introduces the reader to is that she's baking a birthday cake, which is all about hope, right? Like Bake Off has proven that to us. <laughs> you put stuff in the oven and you hope for the best. <laughs> um, and I think that sort of everyday example of hope, giving yourself into something, she made it quite interesting by showing, you know, the unreliability of hope and like the transience of hope, which was really interesting. And something, again, that felt really relevant to now and how we can feel at times about what hope is and sort of getting angry at our hopefulness. She's got a really good quote that sort of sums up what I was just talking about. Hope is the belief, however slight, that things will get better. Mine was always a tiny flicker of hope, a flighty feeling that would ebb and flow through my adolescence and on into adulthood. I drifted away and learnt to keep the lid on the bubbling matriarchal hope. From a distance, I could call it in, but my flicker stirred inside me like heartburn. I wanted to open the oven door to check the cake, but I knew I shouldn't. I had to put my trust in the recipe. It's never been my forte. I only trust what I can see and hold. Unless it's really there, I don't believe it. Hope has deflated me like a sunken sponge too many times. It's quite sad, but very accurate, I think. Yeah, I think it's so interesting to question the truthfulness of hope. Mm. That's something I did not see coming at all. Because I think we kind of hold hope up as this kind of true honest thing I don't know yeah it's quite a true honest emotion you know like being hopeful you should just feel when yeah you you should just know when something is hopeful but actually it's really something that we cling to Mm -hmm. when we shouldn't always that sounds really cynical but I think no I mean I I think it's completely true and I think that's the point it's like Katie is talking about that she knows now in retrospect from all that's happening she was like why should I just keep hoping it feels a bit negative about you know, her innocence and that led her to continue. But she says, like, she'd always cling back to it when she needed it. Mm. You know, the hope never left her, no matter how different, difficult the situation became. But, yeah, it was just a really nuanced discussion about hope that we probably weren't expecting. Mm, it was a discussion, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, the piece just felt like you were, she was turning it over mm-hmm. and looking at it from all sides. Um, another piece that did that, looked at hope in that way in that kind of more questioning way was love and the story of a city by alexandra burton this was about really looking at hope in love and relationships and specifically reflects on the kind of dissolution of one relationship that the writer experienced and so yeah coming back to that idea of learning when you've got to let go of hope Mm. um yeah, and just looking at it really specifically in terms of when you're in a relationship and you're you're clinging on to something that actually isn't a real representation of yeah. what's actually happening and the yeah. situation you're in. And Alexandra talks about that first, the first parts of a relationship where it's all hope and it's all potential and it's intoxicating and really exciting. When that, what do you do when that fades? Um, are you still clinging on to something that actually isn't there anymore she describes really beautifully like the way that hope leaves how it's not something that's there one day and gone the next it's not binary and so it's not clear-cut it's hard to know when hope is gone and when it's the right decision to 
to let it go completely. Um, like she describes hope going like a cliff face that crumbles into the ocean grain by grain. It's really beautiful. No, it was so beautiful and it really went down, went down well. It makes me sound like I just work in like social media, but it, it did. Uh, it we dropped it. We dropped it. No, no, no. When we shared it, it had a really strong resonance with a lot of our audience. Mm. I do think it's because all the things Abs has just been saying. Alexandra really takes that early rush of hope when someone tells you like, oh yeah, when we get married or when we buy a house together and you, you know, you just, you go all in because it's your natural inclination to. Mm. And when that, rush starts to ebb away when it starts to crumble grain by grain how do you pick up the pieces and somehow be hopeful again in the next time that will change yeah because I guess basically we all want to be we would prefer to always be in a hopeful place and situation mm. but actually it's like recognizing what you do when that is what you're hoping for is not something that's going to come around it's not true yeah. so yeah basically this was a great theme, and I've loved talking about it. <laughs> and actually, Alexandra is going to read a quote from the piece because it went down so well, as Bridie said. It sounds saccharine and fanciful in the way early infatuation is wont to be. I get caught up in my confirmation bias, turning from anything that might threaten the hopeful narrative I've constructed. I call it teething problems. Tell myself I'll learn to love what rankles, berate myself for being hard to please. There are times I worry I have sold rationality in pursuit of a dream, and hope is merely the cousin of denial. For months I close my eyes when we disagree because I worry I might look down and see hope as a speck on the ground, and then I will know a single misstep could grind it into dust. Sometimes his words are so frosty I struggle to find the warmth of hope to wrap around my shocked body, like I have run a marathon to save us only to stand shivering at a quiet finish line. Each time I am knocked down, I allow hope to reach out and help me to my feet, and when I sense its grip weakening, I hold on tighter. So the final thread that we want to discuss sort of takes us from that lowness of Alexandra's piece, sort of that crumbling and trying to think about when you are at your complete lowest or you have as hope and faith that you'll make it through. And we had quite a few pieces generally dealing with the topic of mental health in quite a considered and emotive way. I think we get quite a few pieces about mental health usually because it's something that affects all of us all the time. And people, again, like Ab said at the beginning of the episode, writing it out helps so much. One of the pieces that we had was Growing Out of You by Amy Holford that I think really brilliantly captured how hope ebbs and flows the sort of stuff we've been discussing about but specifically putting it within a context of mental health and just as a content warning this piece has a lot about anxiety and depression in it and sort of seeing how the people around you react to your mental health and how you know you're disappointing people and letting people down and when there's that much negativity how can you be hopeful that you'll move forward and also the odd things that give you hope when it seems like everything is hopeless yeah that's such an interesting point that you just said about other people's reactions to it, the way that you want other people to be hopeful for yeah. you in a way. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I mean, Amy will push it much better than me and Abby will. So she's actually recorded herself reading from Growing Out of You, which you can listen to now. I'm slowly reading a book about women who run with wolves and so I dig through the damp earth of myself and tear out the parts that no longer serve me with brutal ferocity. I'm still sad, still overthink everything. 
Lucine says, knowing who the anxiety is when it comes beckoning around the door of the cage, recognising the signs of its oncoming and to accept vulnerability is vital, like a sunrise after a night storm. It's the kind of hope I want to breed, make into lively creatures, wings beating. I think I've bashed the anxiety into submission, but I know I'll probably have to live with this. It's okay, I think. Light pokes holes through the grey clouds and I thank Lucy, even if the treatment was less of a treatment and more of a friendly chat, but I drive home feeling hopeful for the first time in a long while. When I get home, I smile at Mum. The worry evaporates, my features a little and Dad looks relieved, but he still doesn't ask me, even though he told me in the middle of all of this that he used to come home after work and cry on the side of their bed and didn't even tell Mum. I hold them close. Sure, I'm scared for the journey, scared for knowing and unlearning and working on myself, but how does any bird fly after an injury? Gratefully. Hopefully. I was growing out of you once. Now I'm ready to grow back in. And just off the back of that, we just like to say that if you're struggling with your mental health, Mind is a really great place to find resources to help you cope. We're going to leave a link in the show notes to their specifically coronavirus information support um, at the moment, which has tailored information for the mental health problems that could be arising due to the pandemic. So that takes us on to Dearest Damsels. This is the part of the podcast that we hand over to other women who are doing brilliant creative things that we think you should know about. This month, we celebrated National Poetry Day, which was on the 1st of October. And to celebrate that, we wanted to feature previous Dear Damsels contributor and debut author, Lucy Cuffew, who is going to be reading from her new YA novel, Blood Moon. The novel is written in verse and it tells the stories of periods, sex and online shaming. It's already received loads of praise from the likes of Louise O'Neill and Sarah Pascoe and is helping to change the conversation around periods. Hi, I'm Lucy Cuffey. I'm the author of Blood Moon, which is a YA novel in verse about the online shaming of a teenage girl and astronomy geek called Frankie whose period starts during her first ever sexual experience. I wrote the book in verse because um, poetry to me is a very intimate form, a way of truth telling, a way of connecting emotionally with something very intimate. And this novel is quite an intimate novel. It goes quite far inside the character's head. It looks at shame, the mechanism of shame, how shame functions, how it um, is a crippling emotion. I felt that writing it in poetry was was one way of connecting with that incredibly um, challenging emotion. So this is a section from the middle of the novel. Frankie, the main character, is in a fight with her best friend, Harriet. Last night, her and Benjamin, the, the love interest in the book, were together and her period started while he was fingering her and she is about to run into him. Thursday, the fundamentals of physics. Harriet steps out of her front door at the exact same moment as me, and I imagine on another day telling her about Benjamin and what we did and the pictures we swapped late at night in bed, but instead she raises her middle finger at me and says, bitch, 
takes one to know one, I say, and turn the other way. She's the one who took a photo of me in the shower at school. Talk about bitchy. I don't need her anyway. She said I'm nothing to her. Well, she can be nothing to me. I walk to school, the wind in my hair, the morning sun glistening on the dew. I feel hashtag no filter fit. I'm textbook. I've totally got it. On his street, Benjamin is waiting for me, leaning against the brick wall outside his house. He stands and crosses to meet me. Good morning, I say. Nice to see you. Hey, you, he replies, smiling and walking beside me. Sleep okay? I did, I say. You? Well, he says, upbeat, in sync. I had this weird dream that you and me were in space. Like astronauts, I say, glancing at him sideways. Actually, we weren't exactly... In space, we were swimming around like there was no gravity. With spacesuits on? Nope. So we were dead. Benjamin laughs. We were sort of in a drawing, he hesitates. Like your curtains? I laugh, nudging him. You dreamed about my curtains. Well, they are totally cosmic. You dreamed about my curtains, I crow, loving the feeling of my things making it into his subconscious. Did you dream about me? Benjamin asks. And I wish I could lie, but I hardly ever remember my dreams. I thought about you a lot, I say. Then Benjamin leans in with this sweet uncertainty and very lightly kisses me. I kiss him back and feel a rush of blood to my head at us kissing so casually, so comfortably, so familiarly. Life is amazing. Our lips come apart, and that's when I get the ooze-squish blob of falling blood, impending blood. How the frick did my ultra-plus tampon fill up so quick? Benjamin takes my hand, and we start to walk, our arms swinging, bumping lightly, but I'm walking funny. I cannot let my pants and tights meet, because once they do, the blood will find a path. Then I will be done for. That's fluid dynamic. The period woman who came in year six said it's only blood, just an egg cup full, nothing to be embarrassed about. But when did she last try to pull with an egg cup full of blood in her pants? You're limping, says Benjamin. You okay? I pulled my thigh, I say, with instant blush, the first word that came to mind, obviously. We take one step, his arm slides under mine. Here, you can lean on me. My heart goes squished and with one wrong step, my pants and tights meet. I walk beside Benjamin, our bodies touching, knowing I now have wet and sticky thighs. What? says Benjamin. What? I say. You said thighs. I don't think I did. You definitely did. But I don't want to bring up my period after what we did, so I limp on. I could give you a piggyback, he offers, if it would help. But I just shake my head and say, no thanks, hoping I can keep my secret in my pants. Thank you. You can find Lucy on Twitter and Instagram as at Lucy Cuffew, and there's more of her work at her website, lucycuffew.co.uk. You can also buy a copy of Blood Moon from Hive, Waterstones, or Foils, or your preferred independent bookshop, and we'll leave all the links in our show notes. We'll also leave a link to a great blog post Q&A that we did with lovely Lucy, which has loads of tips about writing uh, routines and practices, so do check that out too.
It's time for Online Offline, which is a section of the podcast where we talk about the discussions that are happening in our communities on the internet and in real life. As we mentioned just now, it was National Poetry Day on October the 1st. Indeed, I think it was October okay. the 1st. I mean, that's good to know. Could have just remembered. As we all know, it was on <laughs> October the 1st. So it was National Poetry Day. Well, I think you should definitely know about it because it's a UK-wide celebration of poetry and the focus that poetry has. We're big fans of poetry. We also mentioned it in our May podcast, I think. We were talking about how a lot of people are turning to poetry at this time because it's short. There's not a lot of pressure. It's not a mm. scary big book. and You get lots of variety. Mix and match to your mood. But we definitely talked about that when we read our first lockdown podcast saying that we found ourselves turning to it quite a lot and I do think there was definitely a stronger presence of it this year of people recommending poetry people finding out new poets people discussing why it's still so important which I think was really brilliant to see um, especially from platforms that we're not used to talking about before and um, poet Vanessa Kissel was doing great things but she was sharing lots of poetry I think she compared herself to the person in a supermarket buying milk trays for the single people and they were like look I can sort you out yeah got you a great poem <laughs> got for anyone you want and it was really brilliant ones that I was just going through and favoriting and she's quite a good poet to mention actually because when we we're discussing before we start recording we were talking about how poetry can capture so much more than just words can and her poem that went viral during the Black Lives Matter protest in Bristol about the toppling of the Edward Colston statue, the slave trader Edward Carlson, um, was called Hollow. And I remember that just sort of blowing up completely. Mm. I think she's Bristol City poet, I think, something along those lines. But yeah, I remember that poem. It was really strong and really striking, and especially to see a woman of colour talking about it after there was all this other stuff in the press about how it was, you know, erasing our history and getting rid of all these things. And it's a great example of how poems can capture a cultural moment in a way that other writing just can't. Like, there's so many poems coming out of lockdown and from the pandemic. I think Bill Bryson, especially. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so many poems. Like, the one when the Excel spreadsheet stuff came out about, I'm not going to talk about politics too much, but the track and trace thing. And then he wrote a poem in an Excel spreadsheet. It's like, my God, you were just doing the best work at the moment. And that's really accessible. And people share it on Instagram and people shared it on Twitter. And loads of people are turning to poetry at the moment because it's capturing stuff instantly and is talking about things we're all experiencing in a really distilled way that's really digestible and easy to share with people. Yes and actually I hadn't come across Vanessa Kissel before the Slave Trader Statue poem. It seems to be people turn to poetry at important moments in life such as weddings and funerals mm. especially. I, I can't remember... This is me sort of quoting something that somebody said sometime. I wow. Remember wow. Who. What a, what but a I reference think... to the podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a general idea, but basically I think it might have been John Cooper Clark on um, Desert Island Disc. But just that idea that even, and God, I don't want to sound really snobby, but have you been to a wedding where they've read a really, really, really bad, bad, sorry, I shouldn't say that, bad poem, but I think we can yeah. say that it's yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. too three lines about love. Have you seen the film In Her Shoes? No. Okay. Well, Karen Diaz and Tony Collette are in that and Karen Diaz can't read. That's like a plot point in the film and then at Tony Collette's wedding who's her sister. She reads E. Cummings, I carry you in my heart. Crying with Jam. Okay, so that sounds like a good But that's a good example. When you were told you just said wedding, I just thought of Karen Diaz Mm. reading I carry you in my heart. But I just think it's interesting how people who mm, 
it seems they choose these poems that are like, in, uh, not even Instagram poems, sorry, that's a different subject that we might come on to, but internet poems that mm. you Google, love poem, yeah. and like what comes up. Yeah. And like, but what is, why do they feel they, they need to put a poem there? And I think it is because poems can capture, can like say, I think you, you said it so much better than I am just circling around, but that, when you said <laughs> distill, yeah, that's what it does. Like it feels like it distills yeah. Lots of things that otherwise we are, we struggle to connect to, and yeah. they feel like two big ideas. But at, at those moments of marriages and, and funerals, where we're at this, it's like a pivotal point in life. It seems that like yeah. poems seem to be the only thing that people can turn to. They can they can communicate bigger ideas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely mainly write poetry when I'm dealing with something, <laughs> when I'm in my feels. But also, I know quite a few of my friends who have turned to poetry when they're having difficult times to try and, again, we said it already at the podcast, write out what they're feeling. I don't really talk about um, my day job too much on Dylan's podcast, but I work with uh, women who are going through cancer treatment, and quite a few of them write poetry, mm. because, again, you're dealing with something that is, seems, like, unnumerable and completely unmanageable. What if you had a stanza format? What have you had a rhyming, like, rhymes to tie it together? What have you had a set A, B... Maybe sort of structure. And there's rules in poetry they don't necessarily get in other types of writing that I think help people process mm. things and help people tie ideas to like sentences and tie them down to stanzas. That's so interesting that you mention about structure being useful in writing something out because I will say that you write poetry and I don't write poetry and that's because I've always been intimidated. I think, if I think about it now, probably because mm. I am intimidated by the rules. But actually, I I also think the idea that you can write fragments and kind of not have to have a complete... Yeah. When you don't have a complete thought and you don't completely understand something, being able to put it into... Just put the fragments down on the page and then tie them together. Yeah. That's I think nice... that's kind of a good way to write poetry, really. Again, like when you're talking about when you haven't got a full a full thought... Like, you don't need to write an essay. You don't need to write a full post about it. You can write parts and then tie it all together. Like, it's a completely different thing, but I don't think it needs to be intimidating. And I think something that showed that during National Poetry Day and the conversations that ensued on Twitter was there was a thread about, like, your poetry hot take and it had Finn from Tangled surrounded by knives. And like, it was quite funny. Like, there was some um, someone from Clarissa Ackroyd, who's at Stone Star on Twitter, who said, almost all poems about birds are terrible and boring and they should probably be banned because the good ones have already been written. And then Lynn Jeffries wrote, just because you wrote something and spaced it like a really cool poem doesn't make it poetry. And obviously that's quite funny. Um, because, <laughs> I did really enjoy that. Yeah, thread. I enjoyed the thread, but then you know it feeds into this discussion, right? It's like, well, you know, Rupi Cool writes in a very accessible way, and I don't know why it's just come to my head, but I know Camilla from Love Island, for example, went on How to Fail and was talking about writing poetry, and people do write poetry and put it on Instagram. I have loads of poets, friends mm. who do that because it's quite instant and it's an easy way to connect with people quicker. That's what Bill Bryson's doing. So I do wonder if it's like, isn't the point of poetry, it's freedom, despite all the form and despite all the rules and structure. Don't you want to write about birds and mess with form and break it up and like put spaces everywhere? Like, isn't that the great thing about the form? And do you necessarily have to learn it? And do you have to look down at people like Rupi Kaur who write in an accessible way with poetry? Yeah, I. it is interesting, the Rupi Kaur stuff, isn't it? Because essentially what she really is doing or you know and what she sort of became famous for doing was just laying bare some kind of vulnerable 
thoughts yeah. that people, especially young women and women of colour, like really connected to. And I just think like what, how else would she have communicated those kind of things that she was putting down on the paper that were just distilled moments of thought that really cut to some strong emotions. Like, I don't know, what, how else could she have done that? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's definitely, like, part of her appeal was people reading that and being like, oh, shit, like, this is how exactly I feel. And again, mentioning my basic bitch Instagram, I've been showing loads of poetry, loads of basic poetry, where it's just spaces everywhere and, like, powerful <laughs> points about the sun is a metaphor for my soul. And it's like, yeah, because I need that right now and mm. like, I need something to reflect that and I don't necessarily need to see it presented to me in like I don't know, an onomatopoeic framework or following a set sonnet structure you know mm. I think there is definitely always a discussion between the complicated studious version of poetry and maybe the more performative and audience open way of doing it and you know I haven't even talked about spoken word which is a completely different mm. form to this as well I think there's so much more to poetry than what people think and I don't think it should be shut off from anybody but then again, you know, you, I think, you know, I think Abby's a great writer and hearing that you don't want to write poetry because you're a bit scared is like, it's nothing to be scared of. But then that's because I write it and because I've, I've studied it and but that shouldn't make it okay for me mm. to do, you know. No, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't really ever um, thought about writing poetry, but actually now that we have spoken about it, I think I might, I might give it a try. Oh, I won't immediately set up an Instagram <laughs> How dare you? That's just so insulting. But, but I might, yeah, who knows? Watch out for my new Please vlog you yeah. onto my basic bit of Instagram. Um, well, to actually talking of Instagram, one thing that we did in National Poetry Day, so I went through, we have so much poetry in our archives. We were, we did think about mentioning poets during this discussion, but there's no point because there's so many, and also there's so many in our archives that you can very easily find if you just click on the poetry category on the website. But one that we pulled out is a poem that me and Abby read in 2018. I remember we like lost our minds about it because it felt so real to us. Again, the Ruby Core thing, it connected to something very specific that we hadn't necessarily seen before. Mm -hmm. And it was actually that poem that then led us to start thinking about creating Let Me Know In Your Home. Yeah, because, that's true. Yeah, because we were like, oh my God, no one talks about this kind of thing. And that's Rebecca Cooney's 13 Things to Tell a Friend Who Is Hurting. We shared the whole poem on Instagram, cut it up, put it on a nice little template, shared it there, eight slides of poetry and stanza, and it people reacted so well to it. And actually, you know, there were so many comments there as well. Like, it's one of our most engaged posts on Instagram, people like going to tell me. But someone commented that they read it and sent voice notes to their friends during lockdown. And, you know, saying this is exactly what I needed to hear today. People were tagging their friends in the post and things like that. And, you know, that's from 2018. And, you know, we're on a WordPress site, so we haven't got a very good community discussion in our comment section on there. But being able to do it like that, to make it really basic, to make it really accessible, take it out of its poetry framework, mm -hmm. made loads of people engage with it and loads of people found solace in it. And yeah. I just think that was a really great example of what we're talking about here. Like, it doesn't necessarily matter about the structure or the form or the audience just about what you're trying to say, like yeah. with all writing. And also, it's just occurred to me as you were speaking, that isn't there a, one of the stanzas in that is about, she says something like, I make a last of out of poetry, yeah. and mm -hmm. then says, and so here's a poet, yeah. poem that I come back to. So, what, one, very meta, but also <laughs> two, like, the what you're talking about is like, the brilliant thing about poetry being how easy it is to save and share, yeah. whereas, you, you know, it's a bit more unwieldy to 
to have a whole like personal essay that really um, captures something. Or yeah, yeah. so whereas poetry just feels like it's really something that you can keep close to your heart and yeah, and dig out and share again. I mean, that's why Karen Diaz reads a few covenants of a wedding because Carrie's in her heart. Besides, (laughs) (laughs) Um, we just thought it would be really nice to end this discussion by getting Rebecca to read her poem, 13 Things to Tell a Friend Who Is Hurting. In case you haven't seen it on her Instagram, it's really beautiful and it's one of our favourites that we've ever had submitted to Dear Damsels. 13 Things to Tell a Friend Who Is Hurting 1. Come in, I'll put the kettle on. Two, no, sod it, I'll find a corkscrew. Three, I love you, and it is okay to cry. Four, if you cannot sleep in your dark, turn your radio down low, let other people's stories wash you away from your own, if only for a night. I self-medicate in fiction, make a last applause of poetry, so five, here is one from 600 years ago by a Persian named Hafiz, who says, if only I could show you, when you are lonely or in darkness, the astonishing light of your own being. Pin it to your wall. It will not heal you, but it might hold the edges together when you are frightened you will crack. 6. Know that people like arrowheads are barbed. They do more damage coming out of your life than they did going in because our flesh tries so hard to cling to them no matter the damage done. But 7. Know that no time spent having faith in another person was ever wasted. Because faith requires hope and remembering the taste of hope is what will get you out of bed tomorrow, even when you no longer believe in the dawn. 8. When Prometheus lay, missing parts of himself in the dark, punished for committing arson with ideas, learning through regrowing pains that what he thought the worst was only the beginning, the mortals in the valley below who had seen his light astonished lit tiny fire candles to remind him, so 9. Do not talk about ending up here or where you should be by now. It is not a race but a wheel, and it, like the world, is turning. Once I was at your feet, broken by centrifugal forces, crying so hard I pulled a muscle in my face. That shit hurts. Remind me when I'm there again. Ten. Take it from me. If you pin your mistakes to the mirror so they are the first thing you see in the morning, your face will get lost in the cracks. Lay them all out. Take a good look at them and then fold them away. Forgive yourself. The way you forgive your reflection, its dark shadowed eyes, eleven. Know that when they build bridges, they lay stone by stone, side by side, around a central support. Wedge a keystone in place at the top and remove the support so the force of the bricks themselves keeps the bridge standing. So know that whatever you have built your life around, you, standing tall with your chest puffed out, have the strength to cross chasms alone. Twelve. I am sorry. If I cannot always be the friend you need, if my tired bones sodden in yesterday's pain are too sorrow-logged to take on more, forgive me. I will wring out these soggy bones and dry your eyes and listen. Because thirteen, the truth is, the words that will take this pain from you do not exist. All I can offer you have, but these words are bridges and elastoplasts, cold comfort wine in two shallow glasses and distraction noise. But know this, I see nothing but your astonishing light. And when you are spread and eagled on a rock, you can be damn sure I will light a candle for you. It's time to talk about what you need to know about Dear Damsels, your writing community and collective. Basically, this is where we read out the memos on our desk for you. And this week, it's something new and exciting. Are you struggling with motivation, stuck in a plot hole, or can you not quite work out a character? Writing can be difficult. Often we meet with external and internal blocks that prevent us from getting words on the page, enjoying our creative practice, 
and developing our skills. Do not fear, dear damsel. Say hello to Kerry, our new resident Agni aunt. She's not actually here. Don't say hello to her. But she is here to help you solve your creative problems, reignite your passion for writing and beat those blocks. Kerry has taught creative writing for over 10 years and has helped hundreds of students shrink their inner critic and ditch perfectionism while working hard to overcome her own. I should know because she taught me for two months in lockdown and she was absolutely brilliant. And now I have planned out a whole novel from writing, from doing a course of her, which is pretty insane considering I didn't do that at all for the past three years. Her teaching is strongly focused on self-compassion and finding joy in creative play. And now she wants to help you via us. So if you're stuck, struggling, confused, and you need to push in the right direction, get in touch with us now. Submit your question to us using the contact form, which we will be linking in the show notes. And we might pick your problem to answer in our new column, Damsels in Distress, which will appear on our blog. And hopefully by the time we put this up, we'll have our first Agony Aunt column from Kerry on there. So you can have a look and see exactly what advice you'll be giving, which I'm sure is brilliant. Thank you for listening to Her Own Words. You can read all of the pieces that we've mentioned today on our website, deardamsels.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and also Facebook at Dear Damsels. The next podcast will be all about our next theme, which is Shift. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love you to share it far and wide and perhaps even subscribe with you and rate it. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Bye, Abs. Bye, Bri.